Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about outdoor games. We're talking about games you, you want to go outside with your friends. It's a beautiful, sunshiny day, and you want to play a game and not have to worry about it blowing off in the wind or getting uh, the humidity messing it up. We're talking about outdoor games. We're talking to Denny Weston of Arthur's Board. Denny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, now this is something that people don't talk about. You know, we were just talking about this a moment ago before we started uh, rolling, is that, you know, outdoor games are a niche of a niche. I mean, it's not something a lot of people are working on right now. So I'm excited to kind of hear your thoughts, uh, hear why you're designing these kinds of games. you got a pretty cool game uh, called Kingdom's Lawn Game. Is that right, Kingdom's Lawn Game? Yes, Kingdom's Lawn Game. Yeah, That's it looks right. really cool. I've been watching the videos. I'm excited about it. And so interested to hear just kind of some insight on outside games. But just in case people have never heard of you, never heard of your company, tell me who you are. How would you get started? Yeah, so I'm Denny Weston. I'm from Charlottesville, Virginia. I am a teacher, uh, a coach, and a small business owner. Uh, I have a game company. We do board games, card games, and we're going to be launching our actually first game, uh, Kingdom's Lawn Game. Uh, in about a week on, well, actually, I don't know when this is going to air, so <laughs> uh, we're launching it on August 1st um, on Kickstarter.com, so we're super excited about it, because you're right, lawn games are something that everybody kind of plays, but nobody that I really know of is designing lawn games, um, and so it's just an interesting market, for sure. Yeah, because, I mean, there there are tons of games that have been around forever. You know, I was playing bocce ball not too long ago, some friends of mine were on the beach just playing bocce ball. Bocce ball was probably created 3,000 years ago. Like, I have no idea when it was created, but it's been a long time. And so there's not really a lot of, like, new lawn games coming out. There's some that you see in, like, the tailgating space, you know, for, right. for people drinking and hanging out before the football game. You see some interesting games there. Uh, but nothing on the, in the, like, gamer space. And so I'm interested to talk to you about your game. But first, how, how did you get into games? Like, why, why are you designing games now? Yeah, so I come from kind of a gaming family. I mean, I grew up. Um, playing all sorts of games with my family from, you know, basketball to baseball um, to card games like cribbage um, or, or rummy. Um, so I kind of come from a gaming background. Uh, when I was in high school, I got tired of the traditional games that I had been playing, and my mom encouraged me. She's like, why don't you start designing your own games? And I was like, that's an idea. Uh, <laughs> so I made a few games that were mostly, you know, roll-and-move games. Um, I think everybody who's young kind of starts out in that genre because that's what you know. I mean, that's what all the classics are um, from Napoli to life. Um, and so I did that for a while and then I got to college and I forgot about it. Uh, and after college, I m met a friend who was into gaming and we played Small World and we played Forbidden Island. Uh, and I was just blown away because I had no idea that there was sort of this underground world of gaming that existed um, outside of the traditional board games. And so at that point, I sort of fell back in love with designing games, and I started designing board games again. Uh, at the same time, I was living out in Montana, where you're always outdoors. I mean, Montana is sort of the outdoorsy state. Um, and so I was trying to find a way to bring that board gaming experience to the outdoor uh, sort of gaming market, because I was spending a lot of time outdoors, 
where you're not going to be playing board games. You know, you're going to be moving around the outdoor elements. So I was like, how do we create an outdoor game that sort of mimics a board game or like a video game with the strategy and sort of the, the fantasy-based story that you see in a lot of games today? Well, cool, man. And so tell me, walk me through like the genesis of this. Like one day were you outside hanging out with the moose there in Montana, just, you know, taking it easy. And you're like, man, yeah. I really want to play a game, but maybe, you know, maybe the weather's not quite right to pull to bring small world out, you know, to an outdoor situation might not be the best idea. And so right. like, what was the epiphany moment? You're like, you know what? I'm tired of playing horseshoes. I want to do something a little more, a little more complex. Yeah, it was the moose. It was, it was the <laughs> I moose. Figured. he whispered into my ear. Um, <laughs> No, I was actually at a 4th of July party, and we were playing like three or four different types of lawn games. We were playing bocce, we were playing cornhole, we were playing kube, which is like a Icelandic uh, Scandinavian game that's pretty fun. And uh, at the time, we were like, man, these are, these are great, but these are traditional games that we've been playing for years. Why isn't there something um, that's like a small world? Because the people I were with were gamers. Um, so they're like, why isn't there something like a small world? for the outdoor gaming market. And so that started to get the cogs moving. And I went home, I started to work on it. Uh, and about six months later, I had the first prototype complete and we started playing it outdoors. Uh, it was just amazing. The people that would come up because we're at the park and kingdoms is a very colorful game. Like the blocks all have different colors. Uh, the balls are all different colors to match the, uh, the blocks. And so people are coming up like, what is this? I've never seen this long game before. And I'm like, because I created it. That's why you haven't seen it. Um, and so we did that for a couple of years where I was just playing the game outside with my family and friends. Uh, I had no real intention of, of bringing it to market or anything like that. But everywhere we went, people were always like, what is this game and where can I get it? Yeah. And so after a while, um, and my, my friends and family encouraging me, especially my wife. My wife was a big advocate for me taking this game for just a family sort of uh, friends hobby game that we played on the weekends to something that could actually be for market. Um, so about three years ago, I started that process of finding manufacturers, graphic design, you know, really uh, creating a rule book um, and taking the product from that backyard uh, stage to a mass market. Very cool. Now, give me just the one minute synopsis of how the game plays. Right. So each person or you play as teams controls a different kingdom. Each kingdom has four blocks of wood that are called castles and four balls called armies. At the very beginning of the game, you actually stake out a playing field called the realm. The realm can be any shape, any size, and have any obstacles inside of the realm. Typical realm is like 50 feet in length by 30 feet in width. Uh, think of like a, a big swimming pool. So once the realm is established, you stand at one end of it, we call it the battle line, and you throw your castles out into the realm, trying to strategically land them in different places. But they have to stay inside the realm. If they go out, you lose them. So there's a little bit of risk and reward of how far do I throw it out into the realm without it going out. Uh, once all the castles have been thrown out, you stand them up where they landed, and then you come back to the battle line, and you take your armies and one by one, you throw them trying to knock over your opponent's castles. Um, once all the balls have been thrown, you collect them, come back and do it again and again until there's only one kingdom with castles left standing. That kingdom is declared the victor. Gotcha. And then if I remember right, you've got like some special abilities too, like each kingdom's a little bit different and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the great thing about it is each kingdom has their own personality 
and their own special ability that kind of goes along with that personality. Um, and you could also make alliances in the game. So that's one of the great things is maybe I'll join with you, Gabe, and we'll go after my wife. And then in the game, I'll, I'll break that alliance and I'll join with her and we'll go after you. Right. Uh, so you see that a lot, especially I was playing Kingdom's lawn game at a uh, local camp where I live with, you know, 15, 20, eight-year-olds today. Uh, and they were constantly making and breaking alliances. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was so fun to watch. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's similar to bocce, you know, where you're throwing balls, trying to get, you know, trying to hit something out there in the in the field of play, so to speak. But then there's more choices. There's a little bit more going on. So it's kind of a, a gamer's version of some of these other outdoor games that are going on, right. which I think is a really cool idea, you know, to kind of take the board game niche, that group of people, and then throw an outdoor game Adam, and so let's let's talk about outdoor games and just some things uh, to be aware of. Like, what do you have to consider when you're designing one of these games? Yeah, I I think there's a number of factors. I mean, space is is a really big issue, um, and that's something when you can when you're sort of designing board games, space is an issue because you know the table's only going to be so big. Yeah. So if, if you make a a a board game that the game board itself, you know, four feet by four feet, it's not going to fit on a lot of tables. We're looking at you, Firefly, the game. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's the same thing for, for lawn games. When I first created Kingdom's Lawn Game, um, sort of the, uh, I guess if you want to call it like the, the, the floor plan or the, the space that I was using was twice as much as it is now because I actually come from like a rural area. So we had a ton of space. And I wasn't even thinking about how some people in the cities or in the suburbs are not going to have you know ample space in their backyards. And so over the course of the last three years, we've really shrunk down the game in terms of um, the, the blueprint that it needs uh, for space. And so I think space is a, is, is a big deal. Um, I think another thing you need to consider is the components mm. and the quality of components that you use. Because yeah. typically most outdoor games, they're going to be in the, um, in the elements of weather, you know, whether it's some sort of rain or wind, um, you know, there's dirt. Most outdoor lawn games are, you know, kind of beat to hell, yeah. if you think about it, because you're throwing them around, you're being rough with them. So you need something that's durable. You need something that's going to last. Yeah, for sure. And then when you start thinking about, all right, I want this game to be super durable, well, that might drive up your cost as well. You know, it's it's easy to have nice little plastic pieces, but you play it right. one good time and one good one good thud and it's broken so now you can't use it anymore and so uh, how did you you know when talking to manufacturers how did you kind of figure out that good balance between cost effectiveness but also really durable yeah i had to make a decision early on sort of what was i going to focus on was i going to focus on quality of components which was going to drive the price up or was i going to focus on price which was going to drive the quality of components down um, and i decided early on that i wanted something that was going to last. Yeah. Um, and so I started talking to different manufacturers about what type of components I was going to need that were going to be durable, that were going to hold up to the elements of weather uh, and sort of the gameplay. And we found, I think, um, the, the highest quality uh, components that are going to hold up to the elements uh, but also look nice. Yeah, so. so that's another thing to think about as far as if you're going to have paint or graphic design on these things, they have to be able to take that and not just you know wear away after a week. And so for the components, like what kind of stuff are you using? Is it, is it all wood or like what are you using? Right, right. So the blocks, the castles in the game, are a premium softwood lumber. 
Uh, so it's a high quality lumber. It's not going to have a ton of knots or, you know, a ton of blemishes on the lumber. And then it's sanded, stained with like an eco-friendly stain. And then the image, so each block has an image of their kingdom symbol on the block. And originally, we actually used paint. But kind of like what you're saying, after a while, the paint would chip away and you couldn't see the symbol anymore. And so we actually switched to branding. Hmm. So we actually had custom branding heads created. Now we do a branding process where you actually um, burn the image onto the block. So you have this beautiful, you know, burnt image of a Viking helmet or of a lion or of a sword um, that's going to last forever. The balls are actually made of a high quality resin. It's the same material as a, as a billiard ball. Okay. Uh, and it has a solid core, so it's not it's not going to break. Um, I actually, in the early days, I did some testing where I would take a ball and I would go to like a, a concrete area and I would throw the ball up 20 feet, 30 feet, seeing if I could break it. And it, it would chip away, obviously, but I couldn't actually get the ball to break, um, which was pretty cool. And so with the quality components in the game, I know it's going to last you. We've had a kingdom set for right around four or five years now um, that we've been playing with, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it looks after four or five years and probably a thousand gameplays. Yeah, now were there any things in, in your testing that just didn't work, like stuff you tried, like thinking, okay, let's try this kind of wood or this kind of resin or whatever that just didn't work and just didn't last? Not really the types of material, but sort of the size. And so we started out with our balls being twice the size that they are now. And the weight was actually almost twice the weight that it is now. And that created several problems from not only carrying the game, because it was super heavy, to shipping the game, which was an issue, but also just when you have really, really heavy balls and you're throwing them, knocking over blocks, your blocks are going to get damaged more easily with these huge, clunky balls than if you you know, have a smaller ball that doesn't weigh as much. Because typically when people play the game, some people throw harder than others. So that's something we had to consider. So early on, we had to change the size and weight of the ball to sort of make it fit within what we were doing. Yeah, for sure. Now let's talk about just the things to consider as far as complexity. You know, an outdoor game, it can't have a ton of rules. Like that's just not, it just is not what people expect whatsoever. You know, if they're used to playing bocce or horseshoes or cornhole, you can't come in there with a 10-page rule book and go, here, right. we're going to play this new game because they're going to glaze over and not care. And so how did you find that good place that's a little more complex, you know, than a, a typical game, but still is not something crazy out there where people don't want don't to try to learn? Right. I think it's tough. Um, it's definitely a line that I think any designer uh, sort of straddles. Um, and they'll tell you it's probably one of the hardest things about designing games. And so it, it wasn't easy. Um, I think over the course of several years, you know, through streamlining, we were able to get to a place where, you know, I could teach the game in three minutes to a seven-year-old and they know how to play instantly. Um, part of that is the game itself. It It is sort of uh, by definition, a variation on bowling. I mean, you were throwing balls trying to knock over blocks. And people are familiar with that because uh, almost everybody that I've met has played or went bowling uh, at some point in their life. Um, but it is definitely an art. I think being really clear and concise in your rule book is a big thing um, that I would encourage other designers to do. Make sure your rule book uh, is clear. Make sure it has pictures if you can or at least you know some sort of graphic or illustration that kind of lets people know what the game is supposed to look like when you set it up. Um, we have some illustrations of what the realm is supposed to look like 
in the rule book so that it gives people just an idea so it, it doesn't take that long for them to figure it out on their own. Yeah, and I think you bring up an interesting point. It's such a good idea in this scenario and in, in a lot of scenarios to not just come up with something totally brand new, right? When you're trying to get something that's going to be a little bit more mass appeal, you know, to say, hey, it's kind of like bowling, but then there's these other things going on. Because people go, oh, oh, I've been bowling 100 times, 1,000 times. I know exactly, oh, but I just add a few more rules. Cool, I got it. And to just right. build on that foundation as opposed to creating some brand new something that nobody's ever even heard of or thought about. So I think it's a really good idea to kind of start with that foundation and then build upon it. And so yeah. uh, anything else with the complexity? Like, because like you said, you know, I can teach this to a, a seven-year-old in, in three minutes. You know, as far as like a rule book, if you think about it, you don't find too many rule books in the bocce ball set. You know, you don't right. find rule, like, like a paper rule book's not going to hold up. It's not going to last. And so how do you kind of manage that? How do you put the rules in there? Do you have to have the rules made of some kind of special material so they, they hold up like the rest of the game? Yeah, so our rule book is actually going to be made by a company out of Portland, Oregon called Scout Books. And a Scout Book is, is basically like a little uh, mini passport. It's about the same size as a passport. It has super high quality paper and sort of a, a binding on it. And it just fits within the little pocket, the front pocket of the game bag. So you can easily tuck it away. You can put it in your back pocket if you want. So when you're walking around playing the game, if you need a rules reference, oh, let me get it out real quick. It's right there. It's pretty handy, pretty nifty. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. That's something I feel like people don't think about until you've done this over and over again and go, right. oh, wow, yeah, we can't have our little one-page rule book in there that, you know, <laughs> eight and a half by 11 piece of paper just gets destroyed. And so, well, let's talk about the bag. You mentioned having a little pocket for the rule book and all that. What are, yeah. what are the considerations for creating, you know, basically a box, but more than likely a bag, something that's easy to, uh, to carry? What did you guys have to, like, did you go through a bunch of prototypes or anything like that? Did we ever? Uh, the bag was very challenging. I think we went through 20 different bags um, and until we got where we're at right now, all sort of custom made. or Some of them all weren't custom because we were hoping that we could find a bag that just sort of matched what we were doing so we wouldn't have to go custom made because that's obviously going to add to the cost. Right. Um, but originally, it was actually two bags. We had a bag for the balls and we had a bag for the blocks and we found that most people didn't want to carry two bags either it's uncomfortable or you don't have space in your car to fit two bags so we really had to you know make the game smaller that so we could fit all the components in one bag and then it's it, it is a little bit heavy because it is you know a lot of components you have 16 balls you have 16 blocks you have seven stakes and you know a little rule book and so we needed to find a way that you could haul it from one place to the other without killing your arms. And so we actually made a bag that you can put on your shoulder um, so the weight is sort of transferred to your shoulder so you can carry it farther. I was actually in New York City this weekend uh, at an outdoor games festival called the Come Out and Play Festival. And I was hauling the bag from uh, where we were staying to the subway, on the subway, walking out of the subway onto a different you know, subway train, and then to the ferry uh, that we took to go out to the island where the um, festival was played. So it would have been a lot tougher to carry that bag if I had to carry it with just my hands, you know, sort of beside me. When I could put it on my shoulder, it made quite a difference. Yeah, for sure. And now also, what did you guys have to deal with as far as shipping? You mentioned, you know, shipping is an issue earlier with the weight. Uh, what did you guys kind of have to what were the challenges there as far as creating something that could fit in a box that you could ship out to somebody when they buy one? 
Yeah, kind of the same thing. Just making sure that whatever went into the bag went into the bag and there wasn't any extra space left over uh, and that it made a shape that could fit most boxes. I didn't want, you know, the Kingdom's Long Game bag to be some sort of weird shape that couldn't fit in a lot of boxes. Then you got to make a custom box. Uh, so it's, it's a rectangle, basically, and it fits in a, a box that's like 18 inches by 15 inches by 9 inches. So it's a nice, compact size. Um, but shipping was definitely a concern. I mean, I'm still working on the, the shipping component of it. I mean, I was on the phone earlier with FedEx sales rep talking about the shipping for our upcoming Kickstarter. So it's definitely a concern. Um, but you, there's no way to get around it to some degree when you're going to create a quality product that's going to have a ton of components that are made for the outdoors. Yeah, for sure. Now, have you thought at all about, you know, this is an outdoor game, obviously, but uh, you mentioned earlier that you know not everybody has a big yard. Not everybody can play out kind of in the countryside or at the campground or whatever. Have you thought about any kind of way to make this accessible indoors? You know, because there's some there's some outdoor games you could play inside. You could play cornhole inside if you you know if you had enough space. And so your game, I, I don't know, but have you thought about like an indoor type version? I could see at some point down the road us creating some sort of indoor version of it for sure. Um, at this junction, we're just focused on creating the best outdoor lawn yeah. game that we can create. One of the great things about Kingdoms, though, is you can play it on a variety of different landscapes. And so it can be on just straight grass or it can be on a hill. It could be in the forest with trees. You can have any sort of obstacles that you want from tires to cones. Um, we've played it on the beach. I mean, it's really versatile where you can bring it. The only place or places where you couldn't play it is indoors and on like a concrete area so we feel like it's pretty versatile in terms of you you think of cornhole or you think of bocce or uh even croquet those are games that you want to play on sort of flat surfaces yeah uh whereas kingdoms i prefer to play on a more difficult terrain because it makes the game more exciting yeah, I can see, you know, I'm a big fan of bocce ball on the beach. And I can see how this game would be a lot of fun on, on the beach and have the different sand dunes and, you know, the way sand uh, creates some different obstacles. But also you have, you know, the beach chairs and, and you know, different things like that. It could be really uh, interesting. And you could almost come up with uh, some different, not necessarily rules, but different scenarios kind of things for, you know, different fields of play, so to speak. Have y'all thought about that at all, like creating different scenarios? Yeah, so we, we love creating our own realms. like. Yeah. Today with the kids, I brought out tires, I brought out cones. And if you throw a block in a tire, we stand it up inside the tire, yeah. which makes it more challenging to knock down. And the kids go crazy for it. Um, but even the adults, when we play, uh, they love trying to create their own realms by using obstacles, whether it's you know a ladder in your garage or some trash cans or just anything you can find around the house we've, uh, we've used. So I, I like that there's flexibility in the environments where you can play the game. Yeah, awesome. Now, what were what were some of the other key challenges that you guys faced as you're, you know, trying to put this game together, either in the design or even the manufacturing process? Yeah, as far as the design goes, I mean, when I think of lawn games, I think of games that can be played by everybody. You know, from my seven year old nephew to my eighty eight year old grandmother, and so I really wanted a game that was going to scale for all ages. Um, and so with kingdoms, we recommend ages seven and up, but I've had people, you know, four or five that have played now they can't play the game as well, but it was really important to me to create a family game to where everybody in the family could play. Um, with that in mind, it was also important 
to me to create a game where a lot of people can play. Because one of the things that I don't like about Cornhole, and I love Cornhole, it's a great game, is that it's really just a two to four player game. Right. And well, it's really two or the, four. Like, it might be weird to play with three. It would be weird to play yeah. with three. I'm sure there's a variant. I'm sure somebody, you'd probably look on Board Game Geek, and yeah. there's somebody who's created a three player. Um, like the round robin triangle Cornhole. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I really wanted a game where when you go to the party, when you go to that family reunion, or you're playing the game with kids from church or school, and you have a large group, everybody can play. Everybody's involved. And so with Kingdoms, you can play up to 16 people. Uh, and we've actually, today we played with 20. You're just taking turns at that point. But even at 16, that is a ton of people that can play the game. That player count from 2 to 16 is just a great player count. It's so flexible. Uh, and that's probably the thing I love most about it is how many people can play at one time. Yeah. Now, how, do, how does the, the time change between, you know, two to four all the way up to 16? How much longer does the game get? I, you know, I actually don't think it gets very much longer if everybody's focused on the game. I will say when you start having, like, four people for each kingdom – uh, so let's say you had 16 people. There's more strategizing going on because you in your team are talking about like, oh, should we align with, um, you know, Saber, the green kingdom? Or should we, you know, align with Monarch, the gold kingdom? So there's a lot more talking and strategizing when you have more people per kingdom. So that does probably increase the game by 10 or 15 minutes. But a typical game is anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, which I find is a really nice sweet spot. Not too short, but not too long. You don't want to be out there all day. Yeah, for sure. I think that's another thing to keep in mind for anybody uh, designing an outdoor game or a lawn game is you you don't want a two hour experience necessarily. Like, no. you know, if you want that, go play golf or go to, go do something else. Right. Yeah. Uh, especially if it's going to be a game that is it lends itself to uh, drinking a little bit while you play. Like a two hour game, you might. You might not finish it, you know, by the time right. everybody's at the end. So we we weren't trying to create the you know the twilight struggle of long games. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that was that was not my intention. Yeah. But you do bring up another great point: is that you need a game where you can hold a drink in one hand. Yeah. I've had so many people come up to me and they're like, "This is a really cool game," just from looking at it. But they're like, "I have one real question for you." I'm like, "What is it?" They're like, "Can you hold a drink in one hand?" Right. And I'm like. Absolutely. Yeah. Or hold a Absolutely. baby. Like you've got your kid, you've got your child in one hand, and you're throwing the ball or whatever in the other. I think yeah. that's another thing for people to think about. Like it probably needs to be a one-handed game. Absolutely, and it is. Um, but, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. Now, what were, the, what were some of the challenges in the manufacturing process? You know, did you guys have to go back and forth a whole lot, or, or what did you run into there? It was tough. Um, you know, I, I don't come from a, a business background. I'm not in the gaming community, so I don't have some of those connections that maybe other people have had. And so I had to start from the ground level. Um, and so the first thing I did was I tried to find U.S. manufacturers. It was really important to me to have this game produced in America. Um, and so I reached out to a ton of different manufacturers. And unfortunately, either due to the price or just the sort of the setup or the nature of my game where they weren't really set up for the components that I was making, um, we couldn't make that happen. Um, and so we had to go overseas. So that was then a, another sort of piece of the puzzle. I had to find overseas manufacturers. Um, 
And so after, after searching the web and finding a bunch of different companies through a bunch of different sources, we started doing the vetting process where I started uh, talking to different companies, asking for references, asking for different samples, and then sort of um, eliminating, you know, this company versus this company, and then eventually getting to where we had, you know, the manufacturers that we have today. Uh, and I have a almost three-year relationship with all of them, which is pretty cool. I mean, they actually sent me a Christmas gift last year, uh, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Now, were there any other challenges that you guys faced in the process? Yeah, I think anytime you you deal with manufacturing overseas, there's going to be some communication and right. logistical issues. Uh, and I, I found that early on. And that it still is a struggle. You have to be very clear and very concise with what you want. Uh, don't assume that they know what you're talking about. Don't assume that just because you mentioned it three emails prior that they now understand. Um, I try to reiterate things as much as I can so there's no confusion. Because if, if you're requesting samples and you're not as clear and concise as you need to be, you might get an entirely different product um, once it's shipped to you. And the issue with that is then it's going to take another month just to get a new product out to you. Right. So you want to be very, very clear and try to communicate as much as you can what you want. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, these are the kind of games that they don't make very often. Again, long games aren't super normal right now. And so you can't say, oh, I need a meeple. Oh, I need some dice. Oh, okay, we've made a million of those. No, you're saying I need these very specific shapes with, you know, these colors and the the brands that you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they kind of have to figure out brand new every time. Now, do you know the process that they're using to make this stuff? Um, To some degree. I mean, I haven't been over there, so I haven't seen it firsthand. But I have an idea of kind of how they're making it. So, for instance, the the company that's making the balls, they also make billiard balls, and they also make bocce balls. Gotcha. And so it's that same kind of process to make those balls as it is to make the kingdom's balls. But to come up with the correct size and shape just took a while. And the color. The color is a big thing. It takes a while because you want to match the ball color to the block color. Um, and I was working with two different manufacturers, a wood manufacturer and a plastics manufacturer. So we're trying to, I'm working with them leaning like, okay, it's the Batone color 123 and you guys are using 124. Let's get on the same page, that kind of thing. Um, but it was difficult because you're right. There is, there is no manufacturer that specifically focuses on creating new lawn games for designers. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, when you think of, when you think of board games, it's so nice to have, a company like Panda Publishing, right. that if you're a designer, you're like, oh, I can contact Panda, and they can give me a quote on, you know, how much my game's going to cost, and if I have custom pieces, they'll work with me to design it. I mean, that's what they do. And so I actually reached out to Michael Lee of Panda Publishing last year when I was at Gen Con. Um, he loved the idea of Kingdoms Long Game, and we kind of discussed whether or not he felt like Panda Publishing could create kingdoms long game and just it, it turned out he just the logistics weren't there um it's not what panda does right uh, which is totally fine but uh, it definitely was a challenge because you're you're going to these companies and they're like oh you want us to create bocce and i'm like no <laughs> i want you to create something entirely new uh so that definitely was a struggle and i'm glad i had the last three years to sort of figure it out because if i had to do a post kickstarter it would have been a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Now, what are some other things you had to think about as far as the weight? I mean, this is a, this is a heavy game, and so how does that affect the shipping and the logistics um, from that standpoint? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, we had to scale down the game to make it smaller um, 
to to make the weight um, less than it was, uh, and that definitely saved on shipping costs. Uh, the wood, finding the right wood, and so I had to look at all these different wood densities to make sure we got the right type of wood um, to use not only uh, for weight issue, but to make sure it was a type of wood that didn't have a ton of knots that was going to last a while. Um, so we had to go with some sort of soft wood because you couldn't make this thing out of oak without it weighing like 60 pounds. Right. Uh, so we end up going with a type of pine uh, that's that has a really nice uh, density uh, and has a really like clean finish. It didn't have a ton of knots on it, which was important to us. Yeah, and I think what I really hear you keep saying over and over again is take the time that's necessary to get it done right. Like I'm excited right. to see the eventual final product because, I mean, three-plus years of work and talking to manufacturers and testing these different things, it goes such a long way in that final product. And you're talking about the difference between a game lasting a handful of plays to lasting a decade of time because you're, you're going through the, the process right now of getting it done right the first time. And I think that's something, no matter if you're making a lawn game or any kind of game, is take the time you need. Like, don't feel like you have to launch that thing today. Like, it's okay right. to take a little extra time. And so uh, any advice as far as that goes, anything else you learn just in the process of taking your time and, and going about that process the right way? Yeah, I mean, I think it is really important to make sure you do a bulk of the work prior to production, prior to Kickstarter, get it out of the way. Um, because you're going to be a whole lot more prepared when you go into your Kickstarter campaign or you go into your production campaign or whatever it is when you've spent the time and you've done the necessary things to make sure the quality's there, to make sure all the logistics are lined up. Um, I think it'll make you know things so much easier for me personally when we launch that I have all this already set up. I've already accomplished everything I need to do, and the Kickstarter is the last thing that I need to go into. It's not, oh, I was successful, I have all this money, now let's figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's what a lot of people do, is they, they're not patient. Um, and, I'm, and I'm one of them. I mean, I was going to launch two years ago, because it's a long journey, and yeah. it's, I think it's really hard for people to wait three years and get it all right, uh, and sort of keep that momentum going, even though there is no product, uh, I think that's really, really difficult. Uh, and I think one of the things that really helped me is sort of Jamie Stegmeier and, and his blog. And, you know, he has that famous phrase of, you don't have to launch today. You do not have to launch today. Right. Uh, and I kept, I kept telling myself that, like, I want to launch today. I want to get this out there. I want other people to see it and to be successful. But if I do it now, it's not going to be right. It is not going to be right. You need to wait. You need to persevere. You need to keep working on the samples. Um, you need to keep working on the logistics. And those are not those are not the sexy things. Right. Of, not the fun. Of, that's not the fun part. No, it's not the fun part of, of game design. Not something that I like to work on. I want to design games. Uh, and that's just part of, I think, if you're going to consider being a publisher versus a designer, something you need to consider. What do you like to do? You know, if you don't like to, to have to deal with um, the financials and the logistics of shipping uh, and all the sampling that goes into any prototype, then maybe you need to stick to the designer side of things and find a publisher. Um, and it's something that I might even do later on because this has been a journey and I've loved it. I've loved every step of it, but it's even made me think about what do I really want to do with my time? Do I want to be a designer? Or do I want to run my own company? Because there's a lot more that goes into running your own company. 
Yeah. I want to come back to that in just a second, but I think, you know, something from what you said earlier is when you do all this front end work, you don't have to guess on things. Like I feel like a lot of people have put their funding goal on Kickstarter, you know, they need 15 grand and that's really a guess. Like it's kind of in the ballpark of what they need, but then they raise, you know, let's say they raise 20 grand, but then they need 30. It's like, uh uh-oh, now what are you going to do? Because the whole time you, you, you didn't do the the full work that you needed to do and you're just kind of guessing. And so, right. and then going back to what you just said, uh, as far as like finding a publisher, did you look into finding a publisher for this game? Like, did you try to find somebody else? I, I didn't. Um, at the time when I started this journey, I was convinced. I was like, I want to start my own thing. Yeah. You know, I want this to be my baby that I'm going to craft. And I didn't think anybody would care about it as n- enough as, as enough as I did uh, to really give it its due diligence. Um, and since it was such a new concept, um, I didn't even know sort of where to start. Which which companies should I reach out to? Should I reach out to sort of the more gaming companies like a Hasbro? Or should I reach out to more of the lawn game companies? And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go down this path uh, and create it myself and then kind of see where that goes. Yeah. Well, do you have any kind of general advice for somebody that's like working on a long game or never, maybe for somebody who's never even thought about it is now listening to this <laughs> podcast and going, oh, I could do this. Like, what is, what's some general advice for those guys? They can do it. Yeah. Um, that's, the, that's the first thing. Because there were people, when I started this journey, you're like, uh, I don't know if you should go down this road. You know, this is sort of a, a, a new niche. This is something that nobody's doing. And so, of course, if you're trailblazing a path, it's going to be more difficult. Because uh, you're sort of the first one forging ahead, having to figure out all the logistics that nobody else has done. Uh, so it is difficult, but I would encourage you to, if, if it's something you want to do, then do it. Um, and, and do it with as much gusto and passion and focus as as, as you can. Give it give it everything you have um, within reason. Don't, don't forget to sleep. <laughs> don't forget to eat. Um, I have a family, so... It's one of those things where I have to I have to make a diligent choice every day to say, okay, I am done with my work and I'm going to go hang out with my family because that's that's really what I care about. It's my family, but you can get caught up in the design, in the logistical process, uh, in everything that it entails to where you're not thinking about anything else. You almost have like blinders on. So I would say do it if if you want to create a lawn game, go out there and make the best lawn game that you can make. Um, but keep in mind, you know, the spacing. Keep in mind the quality of components. Keep in mind that you're going to have to create a game that's not too complex because it's going to lose a lot of people. Um, try to have a game where people can have a drink in one hand because that's important to a lot of people. Make it as versatile as you can in terms of environments. You know, can it be played outdoors uh, in, in a forest or on a slope? Um can it be played at tailgates, that kind of thing? Try to make it as versatile as you can. Yeah, and I think setup is another. That's not something we talked about earlier, but uh, setup. Make it easy to set up. You have a game that's complicated and it has a bunch of parts you got to put together on stuff, you're going to lose people because they're like, ah, I don't feel like dealing with this. And so right. with your game, it's it's pretty easy. You just go put some things out and you start throwing stuff. You know, and it yeah, just makes I, the setup a lot easier. A, a typical setup is probably, you know, five minutes or less. Right. Um, and that's what it needs to be. I mean... <laughs> You don't want to be standing out there for 45 minutes. And you're going to lose your crowd. Yeah. You're going to lose the people at a, at a barbecue who are like, you know, we're going to go do something else. Or we're going to go eat, you know, barbecue or whatever because we're not going to waste the time waiting for this person to set up the game. Yeah. So it definitely needs to be something you can get out on the lawn as quickly as possible. 
Yeah. Now, do you guys have anything else you're working on? Other other lawn games or other games coming down the pipe one day down the road? Yeah. So we have a uh, a couple other board games and card games that I've been working on for about five or six years. Um, the development of them has kind of it's not come to a halt, but it's slowed down because of my focus on Kingdoms Lawn Game. But it is our hope to launch those games after our uh, our launch of Kingdoms Lawn Game. Hopefully, we'll be successful with Kingdoms, and that you know down the road, maybe in a couple of years, we can then come out with those board games. Okay, cool. So you're not really trying to be a lawn game company. You're just trying to be a game company. Yeah, I I love all types of games. Yeah. I mean, whether it's basketball or Settlers of Catan. I mean, I I love all types of games. I'm just a gamer through and through. Well, cool, man. Well, this uh, this episode is going to launch around the same time that your Kickstarter is on. It, it, the game is available, and so uh, if you're listening to this, you want to check it out. Uh, I have the link to that in the emails and on the on the website, and so check it out. Just give it a shot. I, I've seen videos of people playing it. They look like they're having a lot of fun. The game looks super interesting to me. Uh, again, I love bocce, and it's in that same realm. But, but Denny, really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with everything you got going on. We're going to head over to a bonus round here in just a second. We're going to talk about uh, games that you travel with that aren't necessarily outdoor games, just travel games and things to think about when you're designing a game that you want people to be able to, to take on trips with them. So we're going to talk about that over in the bonus round. So, Denny, thanks for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?